Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Father, thank you again for just an incredible time of worship, Lord, as we do bow down to you. And we trust you in all things, Father. Help us to live our lives like that, not just sing those words. Help that to have meaning for us. Father, I pray for our time now as we open the truth of your word and we continue to worship together. I pray, Father, you would just help us to to know truth, to understand truth, Father, to to hear truth in your word. And I pray through that truth, Father, you would change us and mold us and shape us and transform us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We are, as you've probably already figured out, having some technical issues this morning. We had some problems with our screens, our printer wasn't working properly, microphone issues. So the the enemy is at work. (laughs) But that's okay. That's okay. We're still going to worship and sing and study. Genesis chapter 1. We are continuing our study through the book of Genesis. This is our fifth week. And we're walking through verse by verse the book of Genesis over the next little while. And I've really enjoyed walking through this sermon series. I've really enjoyed studying it and I've been really challenged by it. And we've been thinking through a lot of different things these last couple of weeks. But I just want to remind you, in all that we study, in all that we see, the glory of the Lord is displayed throughout this chapter. You're going to see that over and over again. We're going to see it again this morning. We, we spent a little time over the last couple of weeks kind of thinking through the idea of evolution. And two weeks ago, I talked about biblical reasons we should reject evolution. Last week, I looked at some scientific evidence that we should reject evolution. If you didn't hear that, I'll encourage you to go and listen to our podcasts. They're all online. But we've been thinking through God's power and we've been thinking through all God has created. And the interesting thing we've seen, and I knew this was going to be the case, I just didn't understand I was going to see it quite as much as I've seen it through this first week of creation. We've seen God's power and glory, yes, but we've also seen order, haven't we? We've seen design. We, we just see it over and over and we just, we've kind of pointed it out as we go. God's done some incredible things up to this point. He's created light. Amazing. He's formed our atmosphere so it's perfect for life. He's created the sun and the moon and the stars. He's filled the earth with birds and fish. He's done all this incredible, miraculous stuff. And yet, and this is important, everything that he's done, everything that he's formed and created up to this point is a prelude to what's going to happen on day six. Because God's going to do something on day six that's unbelievable. He's going to create something on day six that's unimaginable. And so we're going to begin this morning in Genesis chapter 1. We're in verse 24. We're going to focus on day six. We're going to kind of breeze through the first half of day six. I'm going to make a few comments. And then we're going to kind of camp out in the second part of day six. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. Now 23 has just told us it was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. So we're past day five. We're moving into day six. Genesis chapter 1, verse 24. And God said... Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Do we have this scripture up? We don't have this scripture up. That's okay. More technical issues. No problem. God made, verse 25, the wild animals according to their kinds. 
the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Now let's pause there just for a second, okay? God on day six, remember we've already seen this pattern of forming and filling. First three days he forms, second set of three days, in other words, days one, two, and three forms. Days four, five, and six he fills. He's already filled now with birds and with fish. Now day six he's going to begin to fill the land with all these creatures. And he gives us this kind of this overall list of the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground. He says they're all created according to their kind. Now there's a picture here in Genesis very clearly, if we understand this, that this didn't happen by chance. These animals didn't evolve. They were very simply created by the Lord. So again, we see design, we see order, we see purpose. That's kind of the first half of day six. And there's a lot of things we could say about the animal kingdom. There's a lot of things we could say about that created order. But I want to move past that because I think the second half of day six is awfully important. And I want to kind of camp out there. So Genesis chapter 1, now verse 26. Then God said, there we go, we've got it on the screen. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, I just want to make a very clear point. We're going to delve into this in just a few minutes. We are very simply created in the image of God. I just want to say that. I want to let that sink in just for a second because I think sometimes we just breeze right over there. We are created in the image of God. That's foundational everything we're going to talk about the rest of this morning. Because we're created in the image of God... Because he designed us and gave us purpose, we become, we're going we're gonna to see this scripturally in just a second, we become a vessel through which the Lord displays his glory to the world, okay? You're created in his image, and because you're created in his image, he uses you to display his glory to the world. Now, there are three areas in this text that I believe the Lord explains to us and shows us how his glory is displayed. Number one, God's glory is displayed in life. God's glory is displayed in life. Now, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to just say it again this morning. There is no other being in the universe that can create life. You understand that, right? There's no other being that can create life. And so God in all of his infinite wisdom and in all of his power and all of his holiness chose us and he formed us and he made us and through us, our lives, we bring glory to the Lord. Now I want you to know something interesting about these verses. Look at verse 26 again with me. I think we have that on the screen. Can you pull verse 26 up again for me, please? Do we have that one? We've seen this pattern. We've, we've kind of been walking through this pattern in Scripture. Every single day has got a pattern, right? Every day begins with God said, let there be, and there was. Day one, God said, let there be light, and there was light, right? We see this very simple pattern. 
But day six is going to change. It's very interesting to me. It points to the importance of day six and how day six really is different from all the other days of the week. And it needs to be kind of looked at differently. Day six begins like this. Then God said, there's the speech. We see that. We see that every single day. But instead of God said, let there be humans, which is the pattern we would see in all the rest of the creation. God says, let us make mankind in our image. See that? God says, I'm going to now create very personally human beings, mankind, and I'm going to make them in the image of God. Now, let's kind of think through that just for a second. If we are created with purpose, with a plan, if we're created in the image of God, if we're created to bring him glory, then here's where we go with this. We see very clearly that we matter, don't we? Human life matters. Human beings are important. We have worth because of who we are. Now, I want you to realize something about creation. Nothing else in the created order bears the image of God. Nothing. The sun and the moon and and, and the stars and all the beauty of the stars and all the glory of the stars, the stars don't bear the image of the Lord. And all the beauty we see in nature whether it's animals or, or trees or mountains or rivers or lakes, or tre- all the beautiful things we see in nature, none of those things are created in the image of God. See, we see this very, very interesting personal connection in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image. One scholar says this is uniquely personal. Hmm. See, humans are created and designed to do things that nothing else can actually do. We have the ability to think abstractly. Nothing else can do that. We have the ability to appreciate beauty. Nothing else can do that. We have the ability to make moral decisions. Nothing else can do that. We have the ability to interact with the Lord. God has created us in a certain way and given us this glory And created us in his image. And because of those things, we're different than everything else. So let's just kind of continue the logic. God has pattern and he's got order and design. He's created us in his image. He's created us to bring him glory. And so we can say, as we kind of think through logically, that because of all the things we've seen here, we're not just animals, are we? That's a biblical premise we need to be able to understand and, and, and articulate if ever asked. We're not animals. Now, we're told by society that we've just kind of evolved from animals and we're just a higher level, but we're just animals like everything else. We're not just animals. The animals were created separately from humans. We are created in the image of God. John MacArthur says it like this. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that you're not an animal It means you're not a higher animal. It means you didn't evolve from a monkey or baboon or anything else. From the very outset, man was created with a divine pattern. I love that. Made on a divine pattern rather than a material, earthly pattern only. Now, we are created as kind of the the, the pinnacle of God's creation. We're kind of prized possession. He, He creates all these other things, and he forms the earth, and he fills the earth, and he prepares the earth for life. And then of all the beautiful things he's created, he says to mankind, I'm going to create you and you alone in the image of God. Psalm 8 gives us a real interesting picture of how the Lord views creation. Psalm chapter 8, beginning verse 3. You don't have to look, just listen to this. I think we may, do we have this one on the screen, Wanda? 
That's my fault. I'm sure I didn't give her that one. I'm sorry. Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. Now, he's, all the beautiful things, right? When I consider the heavens and all that you've done, Lord, what is mankind that you're mindful of him? In other words, why, why would you care? Human beings, why would you care for them in verse 5? You've made them a little lower than the angels. And here it is, ready? You have crowned them with glory and honor. Isn't that a beautiful picture of who we are? Let me, let me just say to you, whoever you are, because I promise you there's somebody in this congregation right now struggling with this. You have self-worth simply because you've been created in the image of God. You do matter. Your life does count for something. You do have purpose. It's a lie of the world to tell you anything else. We've been fed this lie for so long that we're just kind of a a blip on the radar of evolution, right? We've been fed this lie for so many years that we're just insignificant, that we're just some other animal. We've been fed this lie that we don't really matter. And we wonder why our society leads us to this place where we have devalued life. I I don't know about you, but it seems to me that life is becoming less and less important, that life doesn't really matter. You know, our community is still grieving the loss of just a couple of weeks ago of these precious people that were killed. And I'm sure over the next many weeks and months, we'll, we'll, we'll hear a lot more about that. And we'll, we, we may understand why. We, we may never understand why. We, our heart goes out to those people. We continue to pray for them. And we wonder, what, what could lead a person to do such a, a barbaric and cruel thing? And there, there are probably a lot of factors, but I want you to understand something. At the heart of the decision to take a life is the fundamental view that life doesn't matter. You understand? If I'm willing to take another life, what I'm basically saying is that life isn't important enough to save. We've we've missed this clear truth, folks, that we're created in the image of God. We've missed this truth that life matters. You know, one of the, maybe the saddest commentaries on our society, and and maybe as we understand kind of how this plays out in our world where we see this lead one of the saddest things we can think through and understand about our society is this idea of abortion i want to give you just a couple of very quick stats about abortion there are approximately 1.2 million abortions in america each year 1.2 million by age 45 one-third of american women will have had at least one abortion the u.s has the highest abortion rate of any westernized industrialized nation Since Roe v. Wade, this is the most staggering of the numbers, 1973, almost 57 million abortions have taken place in the United States alone. Folks, we've missed the sanctity of life, haven't we? We've bought into this lie that we've just evolved, that we don't really matter, that we don't really have purpose, and we begin to see our society slipping farther and farther and farther down the slippery slope. Yet the truth of Scripture is clear. Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that well. See, see, abortion negates the beauty of life, doesn't it? It negates the picture of being created in the image of God. Now, some of you are, are, are horrified by abortion, but I just want to kind of give you a, a picture to help you understand. As long as we continue to allow the society to go in this direction, it's going to get worse than that. You need to prepare yourself for that. 
You say, ah, I mean, how much worse could it really get? Journal of Medical Ethics, February of 2012. You ready for this? Here's the title of the article. After birth abortion, why should the baby live? Here's the summary of the article. What we call after birth abortion, which is killing a newborn, should be permissible in all cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. (laughs) The fact that a fetus has the potential to become a person who will have an acceptable life is no reason for prohibiting abortion. You need to understand that the direction our society is walking, there are people that are advocating. Now, this is, a, this is a journal of medicine, folks. This isn't somebody's blog. These are reputable professors that have said we should give parents the right within several days after the birth of their child to determine whether that child should live or die. It's true. And it's sinful. And we are walking down a path that's going to lead to death. You know who couldn't be more pleased with that? Satan. He doesn't want you to believe you're created in the image of God. He doesn't want you to believe that your life matters. And I I want to talk just for a second to that, that person in this room right now who maybe thinks their life doesn't matter. I want to talk to that person in this room who, who, who we, we pray this isn't the case, but maybe you've thought about suicide. Maybe this week you've contemplated it. You need to understand something very clearly. I want you to listen to me. The devil is lying to you. The devil is telling you you don't matter. The devil's telling you you don't count for anything and you can't ever accomplish anything and you're no good and nobody loves you. That's not true. That's not true. That's not what the scripture teaches. God wants you to know that he's got a plan for your life. He created you in his image and you matter. He wants his glory to be displayed through you. It's an incredible picture as you begin to think through it of his power and his love and his mercy in our lives. God wants to reveal to the world his glory through our life. Let's continue verse 26 again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that, we may, so that he may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now here's the first truth we've already seen. God's glory is displayed in life. That's truth number one. Here's truth number two. God's glory is also displayed in relationships. God's glory is displayed in relationships. Did you know that the way you relate to people can bring glory to the Lord? The way you treat them, the way you love them, the way you demonstrate truth in your life, the way you live can demonstrate glory to all the people in your life, all the people you're in relationship with. Now, verse 27 mentions male and female, and there's a very clear distinction biblically between male and female. In fact, if you were to go and read a lot of the New Testament, whenever marriage is referenced in the New Testament, oftentimes it looks back to the created order. Jesus says this. He created them male and female. There's a a clear distinction and a clear relationship we find between a man and a woman in marriage. And we're going to talk more about that in Genesis 2 because Genesis 2 gets into the creation of woman. 
We're going to think about that, that, that beautiful relationship that the Lord has given us. But I want you to notice something today in verse 26. It's just fascinating to me. Some of you probably already picked up on it. Some of you are aware of it. Some of you may have never seen it before. But look at what verse 26 says. Then God said, let us. You see that? That's plural, by the way. I'm so good at grammar. I mean, I'm just, I amaze myself sometimes. Let us, if it doesn't have a little red line under it, I don't know if it's spelled right or not, so. Let us make man in what? Our image, in our likeness. That's all plural, right? Wait a minute. God is, there's, there's one God, he's singular, and yet he's using these plural pronouns, our and us. And, and what does this mean? Well, here's what it means. We, we get this just real kind of subtle hint in the beginning of Genesis of the Trinity, now, it's not fully defined. It's very interesting. If you study through Old Testament and you kind of study through doctrine and how doctrine develops and you understand kind of what the Trinity is and you know where the Trinity's going, if you study its development through the Old Testament, you just kind of see bits and pieces sometimes. Moses probably wouldn't, as he was writing, probably didn't fully even understand this. But we've already seen in Genesis 1, if you remember when God creates the earth in Genesis 1, 1, the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And do you remember what happens next? The Spirit of God, right, hovers over the waters. So we already see the Holy Spirit there in, in the first two verses of Genesis 1. The Spirit of God is already there. Now, throughout the creation order in the first week, we see God the Father, and God said, and God said, we see his power and his majesty throughout Genesis chapter 1. If you remember from our study back over Christmas, we we walked through John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Christ, says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so we can, we can make this pretty compelling case biblically for the Trinity. And in Genesis 1, we get just kind of a, a small picture of the Trinity. But here's where this becomes important for a relationship. Stay with me, okay? We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that all exist together in relationship. They communicate with one another. We see that through Scripture. They're involved with each other. We see that through Scripture. They love one another. We see that through Scripture. Matthew 17, verse 5 says this. While he was still speaking, this is the transfiguration. You may remember Jesus goes up on the mountain, and he's, he's looking at the white light, and, and the, some of the apostles are with him. And the Bible says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, now this is the voice of God speaking to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. It's a real pretty picture. It's very interesting when you begin to think about the Trinity And you begin to think about the relationship within the Trinity. Now, here's the logic, right? God created us in his image. He created us in his likeness. Relationship is central and love is central to the idea of the Trinity. Then because we're created in the image of God, relationship and love ought to be central to our identity as well, shouldn't it? We ought to flourish when we're in relationship, and I'm not just talking about a marriage. That's certainly part of it. But I'm not just talking about marriage. I'm talking about relationship with coworkers. I'm talking about relationship with friends. The way that you love that person who's struggling at work, going through that difficult situation, the way you love that person can display the glory of the Lord in their life. You need to understand that in that relationship. The way that you give of yourself and sacrifice yourself to others can display the glory of the Lord. One writer said it like this. Man has the capacity and the need to personally relate to others, to other people, and especially to God. 
Being able to love him and worship him, that's personhood. Man has the ability to love. Man has the ability to fellowship, to converse, to commune. And man is the only creature in existence in the time-space world that has language. We are created to be in relationship with others. And the way that we live our life in that relationship can display the glory of the Lord. I saw this very interesting documentary several weeks ago. I didn't really intend to see it. I just kind of found it and it looked interesting, so I watched it. And even as I watched it, I wasn't really thinking about this until this week. I looked back on this documentary and I started thinking a little bit more about it. It was a documentary about the prison system in America. And you say, why would you watch that? That's a little interesting. It was about solitary confinement. It was very, it was fascinating. Solitary confinement, they say, is the prison within the prison, right? So if you're in prison... And you do something terrible, they can't sentence you to prison, you're already there, right? So they put you in solitary confinement. Here's what solitary confinement looks like. It's a small room, about 80 square feet. Eight by ten, maybe. With a tiny window looking outside into the world, and, or the courtyard maybe of the prison, and a small window looking out into the hallway. The cells have a bed, a sink, and a toilet, but probably nothing else. Food is literally delivered through a slot in the door, right? They open the door, slide the fruit, close it back through. Inmates spend 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. They get one hour outside in a cage. It literally was a cage. It's like a dog cage, a chain-link fence. Big enough for them to walk around in a little bit. But I was so interested in this after I watched it because you begin to watch these people and you begin to watch the way that they act and you begin to watch the way that they change over the course. It documented several months of them being there. I started reading a little bit more about it. Here's one of the stories, articles I read about solitary confinement. Solitary can cause a specific psychiatric syndrome characterized by hallucinations, panic attacks, overt paranoia, diminished impulse control, hypersensitivity to external stimuli, and difficulties with thinking, concentration, and memory. Some inmates lose the ability to maintain a state of alertness while others develop crippling obsessions. Here was the, the, the... the fascinating and very sad part of this documentary. These guys would go in and they'd interview them and they'd say, I'm going to be fine, I'm pretty tough. A week into this place, they were acting like animals. It was bizarre. You say, why would that be the case? Because we're created to be in relationship. You understand that? Within us, being created in the image of God, we're designed to be with other people. We're designed to love and we're designed to care and we're designed to lift each other's burdens. And when you remove somebody from that, they become animalistic, right? They move away from the idea of being created in the image of God and they forget who they are and they act with impulses that we can't fully understand. God says, I've created you in my image. You have value. I've created you to bring glory to the world and I want you to do that through relationships. Now, let's continue on. Verse 28. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we've seen that God's glory is displayed through our life. We matter. We've seen that God's glory is displayed through relationship. The way that we love other people, the way that we relate to other people brings glory to the Lord. And then here's the third truth. God's glory is displayed in our purpose. God's glory is displayed in our purpose. I want you to notice verses 26 and 28 again very quickly. The Lord says in verse 26, Let us make man in our image, 
in our likeness. And then he's going to give them this task. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here's what you need to understand. God has created us with purpose. You understand? You have purpose in your life. You may not have figured out what it is yet. You may not be completely clear with exactly what the Lord's doing in your life, but I want to promise you something. You are created with purpose. Jim Hamilton, who's a professor at Southern Seminary, I had him several years ago, and I really enjoyed his class on biblical theology. Here's a quote in one of the books that he's written. He says, The charge to Adam to fill the earth and subdue it is a priestly charge to expand the borders of Eden, that's the Garden of Eden, so that God's dwelling will be the whole earth. Thus, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So your purpose in life is to bring glory to the Lord. Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, I know we have this one, there we go. The glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. How's the glory of the Lord going to fill the earth? As we take it. As we live our lives, as we act out relationships, as we use our purpose to bring him glory. Isaiah 6, verse 3, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9, They will neither harm nor nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, so the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On and on and on we see that God has given us this mandate. He's given us this purpose to take all that he's done in our life and all that he's given us and use it for his glory. So here's the question I want you to think about this morning as we kind of wind this thing down. What's your purpose in life? Are you using your life and your relationships and your purpose to bring glory to the Lord? I read a very interesting quote, kind of a question to ponder. I want to to give it to you this morning. Here's what the guy asked. If there were no barriers, if, if nothing could stop you, what would you do that you believe in and could be proud of? I think that's a very interesting question. See, far too many of us have found purpose in other things. We found purpose in other areas. And we've taken this idea of the image of God and relationship and his glory and his purpose and we've set all that aside in favor of the things of this world. God says, I've created you. I've given you my image. I want you to live in this world in relationship and I've given you purpose. To go into the world and to display my glory. So what are you doing in your little corner of the world that displays the glory of the Lord to all those that are around you? What are you doing at work that displays the glory of the Lord? What are you doing at home that displays the glory of the Lord? What are you doing at the soccer field that displays the glory of the Lord? What are you doing in your personal life that displays the glory of the Lord? What are you doing... To take this mandate in scripture and apply it to your life so the Lord can be glorified. Now I want you to look with me at verse 29. We're finishing up with these last three verses. 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so, now hold on just for a second. This is going to blow some of your minds. We're going to set this aside for a few weeks. We'll come back to it. But this scripture seems to indicate that all animals and humans before sin didn't eat meat. It was like they're eating plants. Your mind's already running. Just pause, push the pause button. Write it down, I promise we'll get to it. We can't get to it today. Verse 31. Cliffhanger, you gotta keep coming back, right? Verse 31. God saw all that he made and it was, what's the, what's the word there? Very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created us. In all of his infinite wisdom, he chose us. And he created us for his glory. Are you living your life in such a way that when people see you, they see the glory of the Lord? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth again, for the words you've given us, Lord, for this passage of Scripture that just just seems to continue to challenge us, Lord. It's so rich in truth. Lord, we just desire to know you more as we read this and we understand how you've created us and we see the the worth in our lives, that we do matter, that we do have a purpose, that you do have a plan for our life. Father, make that evident to us. Help that not to just be academic, not just something we read as as, as words on a page, Father, but help this to be a, a, a truth by which we live our lives. You take us and you mold us and you shape us, Father, for your honor and for your glory, for your purpose, And you give us the strength to do all you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the chance for the next couple of minutes. If you want to come down to the altar and pray. Maybe you know somebody that's struggling with purpose. Maybe you you know somebody that's struggling with self-worth. Maybe you need to stand in the gap for that person. Maybe you've, for the first time ever, recognized your sinfulness and your need for Christ. And you want to accept Jesus as your Savior. Or maybe you want to join this church, but this is your time now. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.